0: So we'll give um, another minute and then um, I'm going to let Phil who led our first session um, just share briefly about Safe Families. We will be up here we have handouts and we will share tons more information with you if you would like um, regarding Safe Families for Children in Columbus. But, um, so I will let um, him start and then we'll kind of go from there. <coughs>
1: We go. One at five. Um, little back. I was going to go through state families again, so yes, I know it's a repeat, it's going to be abbreviated version. But I'm uh, the co-director of state families. <coughs> Mandy is on staff as a, a family coach supervisor. We're a ministry of family preservation through biblical hospitality, so we walk alongside families facing crisis by hosting their kids, but also providing support for the parents. So those crises oftentimes look like homelessness, drug addiction, medical emergency, um, or homelessness. We are the four main areas of crisis where we help out. Uh, so pretty similar to foster care, uh, but obviously some big differences that sets apart. We don't take custody. We work only through the local church. Um, and um, um, relationship is highly encouraged between uh, the parents of crisis and the, kid, the parents that take and the kids. So we have four main objectives, and those are prevent neglect, neglect and abuse, childhood neglect and abuse, prevent unnecessary foster care placements, uh, prevent abuse or repair trauma, and then provide family stabilization. And so uh, our goal is to have safe families, churches, and not just close families that are taking kids. And so there's this network, this team, found in a church that provides support to the parents that take in the kids, but also the parents facing the crisis. So if you'd love to have more information about that, we'd love to talk to you about it. we got information up here, and we can follow up with you in an email if you'd like. So, yeah, thanks for showing up.
0: And again, at the end, please come forward if you have more questions and, and want to chat more about that. So thank you all who for, were here in the first session and um, had a, a great intro into trauma and caring for kids um, that come into our care or come into our churches from hard places, just to kind of um, get a, a gauge on who we have here. Can you raise your hand if you are serving kids from hard places in ministry in the ministry field? Okay, um, adoptive foster parents. Awesome. Okay, very cool. Educators. I love it. Okay. Um, the first thing that I just am, um, and I don't talk as fast as Phil, so and I may and I may um have to use a lot more notes, so bear with me. But um, we're, I've got a lot of stuff that I hope we get to cover, but if we don't, um, then the Lord will do what he wants to do, is what I believe. Um, the first thing that I always tell people is whether we have been called into foster care, or adoption, or safe family, or into the um, caring for kids from hard places in the ministry is, and it's our own family's um, kind of adopted um belief is that we get to do this. We get to do this. Um, We have been invited by the Heavenly Father into these sacred spaces. And um, we count it as a privilege as our family. Um, And I just want to tell you that those of you who are in the ministry and who are serving our kids or in the schools outside of the home, I just want to tell you from my own story some of the most influential people in my life and that served uh, just an enormous um, place of my healing was from my church and from the village that God put around our family as um, as I was walking through my own healing. Um, and so just to kind of let you know a little bit about myself, um, my name is Mandy Lisby. I am a foster alum. I was eventually adopted, and now I am mom to many, 17 in fact. The Lord first blessed us with... Um, to homegrown and then he called us out on the ride of our lives this caring for um, kiddos from hard places and um, led us um, to 15 more beautiful treasures that we call heartgrown treasures and um, we are extremely grateful for that um, so I am a trauma survivor and what I like to call a trauma thriver because I believe that when God's grace and his healing takes place in our lives he never does it mediocre. If we will surrender to him and we will allow him to do what he wants to do to redeem, he um, he always does it, what his the 320 tell us, better than we could ever ask or imagine. And so I'm grateful for that and I'm an example of that. Um, my qualifications here to share with you today, um, I don't have a lot of letters behind my name. What I have behind my name is EXP and that's called field experience or what my friend calls Um, street cred. Because I've lived it. And I've lived it both as as a child who has experienced trauma and also as now a mom. And what I know and what I believe is that God allows us as we continue our healing journey after we have experienced trauma, he uses our wounds as agents of healing in the lives of others. And he's entrusted these kids into our care. They're still his kids. And every day of my life, I give him back his kids, say, these are your kiddos. And um, he sure knows that I'm not qualified to do it alone. We were never meant to do it alone. Um, First with him, and um, also with the village and the people that he puts around us. But just to give you um, a little backstory on myself, um, I was born into a home that was suffering from the effects of poverty alcoholism, and drug addiction, thus resulting in every form of severe neglect and abuse. Our home was not the portrait of hope and happiness. Um, What led, what I believe led my mom into a second marriage after she was given the ultimatum to end her pregnancy with me, or he would walk. And um, true to his word, when she Shows life for me, which I believe was the first miracle of my life. Um, true to his word, he walked, leaving her soon to be um, impoverished single mom to three, barely surviving. And I feel that out of um, just out of desperation, led her into a second marriage. And now, unfortunately, in this second marriage, the vices of my stepfather would create such horrific conditions that they would eventually lead to total destruction. Um, every single day was a that was um, just to survive. Um, and as, as time would take its toll on my mother, um, the daily task of to survive, provide, and protect for myself. And then when my two brothers came, or I'm sorry, were my two brothers, and then when I came along, had that in backward order, um, it just eventually took its toll on her. And on one particular day, like any other day, started in our home, the onset of rage and eventually would lead to the violence. And this particular day, the violence would be so incredible, so intense, and my mother would have become so weary that she no longer had the stamina to fight or the strength to survive. And on this particular day, the violence would take my mother's life right before my eyes. And it was believed to be about a day and a half later when the neighbors suspected that something was up, they made the call, the authorities arrived, and there they found my mother's body beaten and strangled, lying over a bed, and over in the corner was an abandoned, battered little girl, shivering, ever, ever so fearful to be touched, but absolutely desperate to be loved. And when the appropriate calls were made and no one came forward to claim me or was deemed acceptable to care for me, I would enter into the foster care system and I would be given that lovely title of Ward of the state. And in that moment, though I had very little belonging to call my own, much baggage, if you will, for the sake of this illustration, much baggage would go with me for you see trauma is not checked at the gate. but in fact everywhere that i went so did the trauma that i had experienced so did everything i had seen with these eyes so did everything that i had heard with these ears. all the fears that had <coughs> been surfaced and so forth and so where i went so did the trauma that i had endured And I like to use this illustration because it gives us a picture. Whether we are fostering, whether we are bringing a child into our care for adoption, or whether we are loving on them on a Wednesday or Sunday or a Tuesday night in a scouting program, whatever it is, to help us understand what that really looks like. Because I think we can talk about it, but then when we see it. For you see, every life is a gift from above. Amen? And every life, just like a prologue, reads in a book, we have the grand aspirations, we have filled with hope, filled with dreams, it's gonna be a great journey. But unfortunately, because we live in a sin-filled world and the enemy seeks to destroy, and trauma, and abuse, and displacement, and broken families is one way that he absolutely loves to devise and to destroy. And so every time that a child endures food deprivation or dehydration, we know how important it is. We've learned through the years of of studying trauma how important that hydration and food is to the proper development of our brain, not only our brain development, but emotionally and socially. So every time that a child suffers from food deprivation, every time that a child endures abuse, Every time that the child enters into that fight, flight or freeze that Phil talked about in the um, in the first session, where that adrenal hormone cortisol is released. And what did we learn? The brain has the brain actually can shrink during that time. And so when your whole brain is focused on mere survival, a lot impacts the development of our brain. I can tell you personal stories of intense abuse, I can tell you of an eye I should no longer see out of, I can tell you of cigarette burns, I can, the list can go on and on, right to the time that I had to be resuscitated. I can tell you of times of intense fear, incredible hunger. I can tell you the times that every time that a new placement was done, disrupting consistency, disrupting security once again. I can tell you of times lying in bed at night wondering if my actions for the day would merit my next eviction notice. I can tell you story after story. And then, far too often, I think someone said it in the first session, far too often we expect these lives, these children, to walk into our homes, with a grand old thank you note. Thanks for having me. Thanks for loving me. Thanks for opening up your home for me. As if life or trauma had never happened. If we get a little bit to the nitty gritty, and I'm allowed to be transparent, right? Far too often, we expect these same lives, these same children to enter into our schools under the same belief. And if we get really real, as I like to call it, far, far, far too often we expect these precious lives that have suffered such a tremendous impact to walk into our churches. As if the trauma and the effects of the trauma and the impact that it has made not only on the brain and emotionally and developmentally but the very core of our being has not happened. But we know, and the reason that you're here is because we all want to do be better. We all want, just as Bill shared in the first session, to be a tangible um, extension of the Father's heart and to, of the tangible grace, and both as caregiver and, and a protection and so forth. And we know that the God that we serve, praise God, is a God that does not want to leave us here, but is still in the miracle working business and the healing business and wants to redeem our suffering if we surrender it to them. And this is where, whether you come in as, as a, um, a doctor or a foster parent or as a ministry worker who now has the opportunity to love on these children, these are the sacred spaces of where God does some of the most beautiful, beautiful work. My story continues on, and I'm not going to share the rest other than to let you know that God eventually, after uh, many foster care placements, unfortunately more abuse and more um, exposure and experiences, that God would eventually lead me to a Christ-following family that said yes to the invitation. Knowing that it was hard, and that was back in the day before we had all the trauma care um, information to share and to educate people, but because they loved me, because they saw and believed who God, they felt God created me to be, of what his word tells us and i know the plans i have for you declares the lord because they loved me through it because they loved me regardless but because they extended that tangible grace and saw beyond my behaviors and they stayed the course i have this down at the end of my note but i'm just going to say it now because i feel like you can't say it enough one thing, no matter what calling we have, or if it's a multi-calling, both as in ministry and foster and, and so forth, the one thing that I want to encourage us is that we all must redefine our definition of success. It's not what social media makes it look like, as the perfect little family or the perfect church or the growing ministry of this. It. It's not about that. It's about one thing, and it's about being and remaining faithful to the call. God calls us, we stay faithful for what he's called us to do, and then we stay the course. Amen? Yes. That's true success. Um, Today, because we have such a limited time, um, as we talked to earlier, we can barely kind of touch on the surface, but we want to encourage you, please, please, please be diligent to continue to educate yourself about trauma, better understand the effects of trauma, um, and um, again, the resources that we talked about before, TBRI, the Trust-Based Relational Intervention, we can connect you, give you the um, links, And these two books that connect child, you read the first four chapters, and you've got a great start. Um, the um, Whole Brain Child, I love, because it's um, more simplistic, it's more practical, and it's just, a lot of times, those are the things that I remember when I'm working with my own kiddos um, from hard places. And then um, in addition to that to just I want to encourage you to continue to advocate um, for these children that God has entrusted into your care however that that may be mm-hmm. the first component and bill got to cover a lot of the technical stuff I'm going to cover a lot of the practical things of just um, of um, how we can do this day in and day out and, and just to give you some um, just to give you some illustration um, grace and compassion are key components and you probably get that already but in just a just a second i just want you to think back in your life of even one time a significant time in your life that someone whether it be a parent a family extended family family friend a teacher a sibling or even a child extended you grace that you did not just one. I bet you can think of more than one. And remember back how that made you feel. And the power that that had. And the empowerment that it gave you to continue on and to to persevere. We all know that God gives us incredible grace. And so we all can relate to the grace that God has given to us. So compassion and grace are key concepts that we have that we have to take seriously we have been given the gift to be uh, to illuminate light in some of the darkest places and to be beacons of hope and can I tell you from personal experience I remember the day that the literally the social workers were about me was where there had been pure hopelessness because she knew what I had endured she knew how deep, how deep the scars went in my life. She knew that I was a sweet child that severely scarred. She knew that if if things continue, that hope may be lost. But I'll never forget the day that she stood in a living room (coughs) and she said, I do believe hope is on the horizon for this little girl named me. Because she saw trust begin to surface. She saw connections that would begin you know, I liked people in general, but, but I did not trust them. I did not trust them. I wanted to. I so wanted to, but I didn't. And because of that, that caused behaviors that I really could not control. That caused distances rather than connection. And so it just, the effects of it just compounded and compounded. But I can tell you that when you stand in a place that you have been gifted to be a beacon of hope, Just a thread of hope goes a long way and has so much power in the life of a person who is struggling and seeking to heal. Um, The other part that I want to emphasize that you probably have heard, but I feel like it's important, wherever we are, whether it's through education or whether it's through our ministry, or really if it's in our neighborhoods or the people that we pass, I want to remind us that we may be the only Bible that some of these children coming from these places, and not just children, but unhealed um, adults that have not gone through, you know, experienced the healing grace of God, we may be the only Bible that they see, or the way that I like to say, we may be the only expression of the Father's love. And that is so imperative in this, and we have to keep that at the forefront, thus encouraging us to continue, um, encouraged to increase our compassion, our empathy, and extend grace. So be, we have to be empathetic, engaged, and educated. We have to understand that behind every behavior, what did we say in the first session? There is a need. A need. Um, many of those needs are related to fear, lack of trust, lack of connection. Um, there's a quote, and you've probably read it. It says, the children who need love the most will almost always ask for it in the most what? Unlovely way." Remember sometimes with these kiddos because the processing is slower because they're still in surveillance mode. When you come up to a child or a child comes up to you that has experienced intense trauma and that is coming from a hard place, the first thing that they're gonna do is they're in surveillance. They're looking at every part of you. They're looking around you. They're looking at your um, body language. They're looking at your facial expression. I'm going to get, you know, what are all of our key senses? They're smelling you because do you know that that's one of the biggest triggers that can trigger a child is smell? So they're in that surveillance mode of just checking you out, if you will, to say, okay, dare I trust this person? Dare I get a little closer? Dare I let them in? And so we have to remember that because of that, because of the development, because of all the things that they're processing, we need what I say both with my kids from Hard Places and my kids with special needs. We need to allow a few extra seconds and a few extra smokes and let them process it. Let them do their surveillance and let them figure it out. I know sometimes we want a time schedule, especially, you know, school or, okay, well, we have this song for Sunday school or this song for... Um, Trail life or this month or whatever the you know may be and we're always in a hurry But I want to encourage you we've got to slow down and we've got to allow this if we want to create that connection that that Phil shared about and that is so vitally important um, In um, connecting with these kiddos Um, In those moments too and in that surveillance it's we think of all the I like to phrase things in ways I can remember them but a few extra seconds a few extra smiles so that they have a few extra seconds to process self-safety. And I'll jump to that a little later, um, but I just want you to know, their felt safety of where a child feels safe and secure, that's a love language all its own. And that's gonna be key for helping these children overcome their fears and connecting with them. We're earning trust through connection. Trust affects everything. We have to remember these children's loss of innocence. We have to remember they have been victimized. They are now a victim of trauma, injury, the chaos that has been incurred on them. And with all that comes a wonderful thing we call stigma. And please don't believe that the kids do not know. They may not know that word, but they sure know what it means and they know how it feels. So take all of those things into consideration as you are welcoming one of these precious kiddos that God is allowing you to share this sacred space with. Bill said it, as part of being educated and and engaged and so forth, we have to increase intentionality and we have to increase curiosity. What I like to say is we have to learn to be darn good investigators. Because all the the things that are underlining in what they are doing, what they are saying, how they are acting, um, we have to ask ourselves, is this behavior an effect of the trauma that they have endured? And I can tell you that most often the answer is a resounding yes. There could be, are there triggers present? I said something about smell. Is there someone that reminds them of someone? Is there a picture that they remember seeing in, in, a, in an intense situation when they were trying to merely survive? One of mine was eggs. I could not stand the smell of eggs for all the right reasons for the most part of my life and when someone forced me to try to eat eggs, do you think that that they that I let them in? It was a foster home, and they thought they were doing the right thing, they thought, you know, but that right there caused such a disconnect and um, unfortunately hurt our connection with it. Are there sensory sensitivities? Any child that has endured trauma, there are extreme increased chances of sensory sensitivity, smell, sight, uh, people that wore Jergen's hand lotion couldn't be near me. No, you have to hold their hand. No, I wouldn't. Remember what Phil said in the first one? Oftentimes we have to remember it's not that the kids won't, but that they can I got in trouble, in major trouble, because I would not hold someone's hand across the street, but they had Jergen's hand lotion on, me, and I was not allowed to get near them. I turned around and I said, I'll hold your hand. No, you have to go with it. I'll hold your hand. I was willing, but I could not do it with that person. You know, see when I, I mean, we just, we have to be, we have to increase our curiosity We how to become investigators. Does it take more time and energy? Oh, you betcha. But is it worth it in the end? Yes, indeed. Um, so <coughs> here are some practical things. Um, a long time ago, when I first, I started um, TBRI, Right, um, right after it started, but I had already started learning about trauma for my own self and for my own healing, and um, I started this thing, and I just call it the L's. And so I'm going to tell you what they are, and then I'm going to touch on them really briefly because of our time. But here are the L's that I, how I break it down. First one, you can, I guarantee you, can guess. What do you think it is? Love. 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 We'll talk about it. Love. Lean in. And basically, in parentheses, you can just be present. Get down to their level, like Dr. Karen Curtis was telling us. We'll talk about it. Love, lean in, listen. Lower the bar. And when we're talking about lowering the bar, we're talking about, what do you think? Expectations. Expectations. Find leverage, find teachable moments that you can instill life lessons with them. Learn, that's part of this being investigators, educate yourself. And the last one you're going to love, and I promise I won't sing it to you, but let it go. And we're going to talk about picking our battles, but also of, um, of our own emotions and of our own um, triggers that can surface. Love really quick. I'm just going to touch on it. Yes, we have to love unconditionally. Yes, we have to let each child know that they are cherished and that they are precious and they are treasured and that they are safe. And we talked about safety as one of the greatest love language spoken um, and expressed, especially to a child who's experienced trauma. But can I tell you, love is never going to be enough with a child from a hard place. Yes, we have to extend the love of Jesus, and we have to imitate the love of the Father. And that has to lead us, and that's what drives us. In our family, we say that his heart causes his, um, um, and that his hand drives us, and that you know that's what leads us. But trust and connection has to be the number one thing that we seek to build with our children. Um, Second one, lean in. We all have the power of showing up and being present with these children. And when I say being present, I mean being really present. We know this is a world filled with distractions, whether it's social media, whether it's our phones, whether it's work, (coughs) our other kids, our schedules that keep us crazy busy, or even while you're working with one child, something else is going on in the corner. You know, I pray at times, Lord, right now, I need to focus on CJ. And all the things that are going on right now, will you just help me put it out of my mind so that he can see in my body language, he can sense in my spirit that I am really here with him and I am really listening, which would be the next one. In the listening part, not only do we want to hear what they have to say, but we want to give them a voice that's Bill hit on in the first one. Many of them have lost most of their voice in anything and everything that has happened in their life. And in addition to giving them a voice, we might need to help them identify and express their own emotions they may just be stuck i can remember times that i felt like i was just frozen and the world was just going on around me i was stuck either it was a trigger or it was a part that that had you know with developmental issues from the trauma the injury of trauma that i experienced i can tell you how i struggled in certain um specific classes in school because of you know just everything I could endure. Times that people would ask the question and I just, I, I wanted to say it, I wanted to respond, but I just felt stuck. And so if someone would come along and say, it's okay, I'm listening. If you can't say it, can you express it? Can you draw a picture? Can you, you know, can you point? Can you find a way to connect with that child to help them identify and express the emotion that they may be feeling so that you can move on to the next? level of connection and communication with them. And always remember, when we're listening, we're we're always thinking of what they say. But body language is just as loud as verbal, especially if with a kiddo from a hard place. Body language, eye expression, all those things matter. And getting down to their level, just, you know, just my little girl, she has Down syndrome, and right now she's um, walking through um, treatments for leukemia. And so this past year and a half has been tough. But she still does it. She's She's done it from when she was 10 months old in the orphanage when I picked her up for the very first time. But she will come, and when she's talking to you, she'll say, Hey, Mommy. Hey, Mommy. Yes, Allie. Just a minute. Okay. Yes, Allie. What do you need? Mommy. 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 And I have to get, I've always had to do this, I have to get down to her level, wherever she is, I have to turn my face completely to her, and if I don't, she turns it for me. <laughs> and she will grab my cheek, and she'll say, Mommy, yes. And then she'll finish telling me the She will not lull from over there. She will not try to talk to me. And she doesn't just do it to Mommy, she does it to everyone. She does it to mm-hmm. our teachers. Now, you know how much extra time that takes? But what if they found connects with my little girl and what they need to do? Stop, lean in, listen, and give her that full, undivided attention. Mm -hmm. And then we get to learn, be investigators. Again, we've talked about the triggers and um, hunger and dehydration. I'm not going to go into it at length, but just know sometimes your kids, especially kids who've experienced um, trauma and especially intense trauma, they might need a little protein snack or a drink. My son, he was cleaning his room yesterday. He, I'm not exaggerating, six water bottles in his closet, in his room. Now we have tons in the kitchen, we have tons through the house, but they stay in the one spot in his closet. And do you <coughs> think just one are filled? No. All six are filled to the rim and they are in his spot. I've learned to just give up that battle and you can have them because he needs to know, a little boy that came from Haiti, and experienced hunger, came out with, you know, belly descended, so thirsty, so hungry, I can tell you about the time that he literally jam-packed almost a loaf of bread in his Jeep, And it took me hours to convince him that if he would just give me a little bit of that bread at a time, I would give him, I had new bread out, and I had all the toppings, honey, jam, syrup, I don't know everything we had out, but I was trying to show him that if he would trust me with that little bit, and if he would give it to me, then I had something better for him and that it would cure for him. But it took time, and it took patience. And Buddy, more than time and patience, you know what it took? It took empathy and compassion. Because Buddy, I, I went back to the time and I remembered being that hungry. I remember what it felt like to not know for sure if you were gonna have food the next day. And so in those moments we just have to stop and we have to be willing to learn and investigate. But they might need, um, they might need a little snack and they might need water um, or something to, to hydrate. Um, and then when you talk about learning, can I just encourage you as we encourage you to engage and encourage you to educate yourself? This is the um, acronym that I love, so please don't take offense to it but this is the one my pastor used. We have to continue to be what? Learners. We have to be teachable and we have to continue to be learners. So what I like to say is stay back, Flexible, attentive, and teachable. That's what my pastor used to tell us all the time from the pulpit and it stuck with me and it's exactly what we have to do. We've never arrived, we've never learned everything that we've got to continue to educate, learn about our children, and learn for ourselves. And again, I know I'm flying through these fast, so I promise if there's anything that you say, what did you say, we'll go back afterwards and we'll make sure that we cover it. And then um, the next L is lower the bar um, and expectations. Um, I did a breakout a few weeks ago on this, and I basically summed it up like this. <coughs> For everything, there is a season, and with every season, a change is necessary. The same is true when we welcome new additions into our homes, churches, ministries, and schools from hard places there are changes that will be necessary. Committing to these changes and cultivating these changes into our homes or our ministries, into our, into the um, effectively connecting with them, committing to the change and cultivating them is just as big of a part of our yes as our initial yes. They have to be. If we want to be if we want to uh, connect with them, and if we want to be able um, to help them do their work. And it has to be an individualized instruction. One rule can't be for all. You've got to see what, those, what that child's experiences are. Again, the investigators learn. You've got to rem- see what that child's age is. And just because it's their biological age does not mean it's their developmental age. And so you have to make um, some exceptions for that and we just have to lower the bar. A quick illustration that I think just sums it up the best for me, and it's kind of a silly one, but a few years ago we went on a girls trip and we went to New York and we were gonna to go to the Rockefeller ice rink. Well, I was all excited. I had skated, <coughs> you know, 20 years ago. I could get out there and do it and I was gonna get around there, and, you know, and just have a grand old time and make this a wonderful memory. When we got there and I got my boots on and I felt wobbly and I felt shaky and I got out there on the ice, I realized really quick that I was going to have to lower my expectations for that day. Now, my friends and I, we were all at the same place. We all had the same goals, but for me to make it around that rank even once, I was going to have to lower my expectations. <laughs> So I decided that even holding, on, even walking around was not going to be good enough for me because there were all these people, including my friend that is 15 years older than me, just skirting around this ice skating rink, you know, and doing flips, you know, and all this stuff. But for me, if I was going to make it around that ice rink, I had to stay close to the edge, attached, couldn't let go because that's where I felt safe, and that's where I knew that I was going to be successful to make it to the other side. I had to lower my expectations. But in the end, was I successful? Yeah. It just took me longer. I had to do it differently. And I had to be okay with that. And you know what? My definition of the success was I was faithful. I got there, I put those boots on, I went around and I did, guess what? Just as I was getting off the ice, I fell. (laughs) <laughs> but I was still successful, because I still did it. But it was just an example to me of how we have to do that for our kids. We all arrive at the same place, we all have the same goals for the day, to get through the day and, and all these things to, to happen, but we have to lower the expectation for our children that come from hard places. Um, let's see, if, um, if we want to connect, we have to love them, and meet them and meet them individually um, and we have to meet them where they are. And then the la- one of the last deals I think, uh, if I didn't miss one, is let it go. Whether it's in your home, in your ministry, at school. We have to pick our battles. If we don't, we're just setting the whole thing up to be unsuccessful, right? We have to learn to do that and we have to, Phil said, the, the key word that we use in the trauma training Um, in any setting is learning to compromise. And why is that so hard sometimes for us to compromise? It's Because of that control, right? We're the parent. We're the teacher. You need to listen. As Phil said, that go-to parenting, it just kind of resurfaces. Even when you've been doing trauma training for, I think, I'm close to year 14, 15, I don't know. I still have to remind myself. Um, but I, I, have to, I have to pick my battles, and the things that are not super important, we let it go. Our kids, I cook, um, we are, you know, I have 17 kids, and when we're all together, whether it's 10 of them or 12 or all of them together, not all of them are going to like what we eat. We do not engage in food wars. We don't. And we have little, uh, what do you call those, Lazy Susans that have hot sauce and have all the toppings um, you know, that every child can possibly want so that they can kind of doctor their own meal. And guess what? They get to. We're not gonna fight with them. And if they don't want something that we're having, they get to go and they get to make themselves a peanut butter sandwich. Not peanut butter and jelly. They'll always go for the sugar, right? But a peanut butter, and do I go make it? Now if they're capable, if they're a two year old or something, but if they, they know the rule or the, the compromise, I shouldn't call it a rule, the compromise in our family, they can go make some toast and do that we find ways to compromise and to let things go. And one of the key things that you're going to have to let go is you're going to have to let go of that frustration. You're going to have to let go of perhaps um, that pool of resentment that has been building before you dive into it and then you say something or do something and you lose connection. You're going to have to let go of that bitterness because, you know, the child has whatever again and again and again. You know, we talked about manipulation. We talked about, you know, lying and stealing, manipulating, whatever is this, Whatever that behavior that is screaming, hey, this is my behavior, but I've got this enormous need, and I don't know how to express it any other way <laughs> except this way right now. So we've got to let that go. And if you need to, sing the song as you do it. It helps. <laughs> My kids will go, uh-oh, mom's letting it go. <laughs> um, we have to be, um, and I wanted to say when you, let, when you let it go, I just want to encourage you to know that when you let that go and you let that release that from your heart and even what's consuming your mind and your emotions, something beautiful wants to grow there. So let it go so that that's something else, that, and that connection is um, one of the things that we're focused on we talked about not being punitive focused and and we don't want it's not just about it's not just about their outcome we have to be heart focused we have to be more focused on their heart and the connection and ultimately their healing and we have been invited into this journey that that God is healing now we walk with them through the healing but we all know we are not the healers amen amen there's only one healer <clears throat> we are just as desperate in our own lives yes. for the same love and the same grace that we're extending to these children just maybe in a different way or different format. and there's one word that i tell people that we have to take out of our vocabulary at all we never fix anything okay I'm I'm in a church activity, but I say it at church. I'm just going to say, F, fit for fix. Fix is like our F-bomb when we're talking about connecting and working with kids because we never fix. We're just invited in to walk alongside as they heal and as God is doing the healing. And we're the conduits and we're the vessels. So um, not punitive, more focused on the heart. And remember that triangle that Bill talked about. Just remember connection takes up the most time to connect, empower them, encourage them, champion them on. And again, if you're in ministry and you're getting to do this, you don't know. Maybe you do, but perhaps you have no idea what they're going back home to. Or you don't know what they lie awake at night and the thoughts that resurface in their mind and the memories that take over. So in that moment, utilize that gift that you have been given in that sacred space to love, lean in, to let them know the love of Jesus and to let them experience the tangible grace of Jesus and compassion. Be um, proactive in telling this child's story, whether if you're a parent, to educators, to ministry workers. That's up to us. Obviously, protect the key parts of their story, but explain. You have to advocate for them. You have to advocate and you have to go before them and kind of set the path and say, this kiddo is going to need a few extra seconds and they're not gonna do well if the lights are this high or this low, or if, or if you put them in this, you've gotta just kind of map it out for the people so that they're successful in the connection and in what the goals are for the child. Um, and I said it already, but we just have to redefine success and faithfulness. And can I tell you, you may think you have this big of a part in a child's life, that's coming into, into your life or into your ministry. And you may think, well, only have them an hour, only have, you know, it's not gonna matter much. Can I tell you that matters a whole lot? Because even if it has nothing to do with your relationship with that child forever, never, never, you're, you are setting the path for, uh, opening the path for better connection in that child's future, and it matters. That's why I stand here before you today, grace on display because parents and pastors and teachers and just people in our church and our village wrapped around me and said, it's okay, me. we're gonna love you anyway, we're gonna be here anyway, and we're, we're gonna see it to the end. And so I'm so grateful for the people that God allow, invited in and allowed to walk into my story and now has helped fuel um, the way and paved the path now that I can pour into other kids' lives, both in our homes and through safe families and as a foster care. Um, um, you know, whatever I am in foster care. Advocate, thank you. Um, but, so, grateful for that. I know we've thrown a lot at you and a lot of the stuff is a little bit repetitious, but just in a little bit more practical way. Um, any questions, any comments, any additional things that you want to add? Meet up. Uh, and everybody's just like, okay, we ate. It's warm. We're tired, and it's a long day. She's
2: raising great beasts, and then she her foster bear. Mhm. And um, he mm-hmm. those temper fits, and he makes holes. I mean, you walk into the wall. She's covered so many holes and stuff. But uh, we don't know how
1: she does but she's still going.
0: You know, that's, um, that brings up something, you know, Phil's touched on a little bit, and was something that if I had time I was going to talk about, but, you know, when, you're, when you've got a child and they're at that and, you know, the integration is not taking place, and that lid, you saw that, the, um, the ones that were in the um, first session, of flipping your lid, where, you know, the, the upper brain has been hijacked and they're not mm-hmm. able to make rational decisions and that it's firing and firing and firing. And if you were holding on to a clip When you let go, you let go, right? There's no stopping. And so we learn to co-regulate and, you know, and allow them to borrow our brain. And so that's something that you may have to do with a child. You saying no that that child can't go over there and write on that board while we're trying to do story time, to you, that's just, well, we're all together. This is, you know, we do this part. We have you know, but to that child, for whatever reason, that's difficult. But by you saying no in that child's mind, that may be rejection. I mean, you don't see it that way, but it may be rejection. It may be fear that just triggers. They said no, and that, that connects to something else. So we have to learn some co-regulating methods to work with them. Um, in the book, they talk about so many. I mean, some of you, I heard somebody say, somebody else's study, you know, TBRI, y'all can throw out some things. But we have to give them outlets. We have to give them, you know, some kids need to wiggle and squirm to feel safe. They need to wiggle and squirm. You know, you heard the brain balancing you know, and EMDR and all those things that help realign your brain and balance them, they work and they're important. And so if you find ways to to, um, do that, giving them an outlet, going outside shooting basketball, a trampoline that they can jump on, give them fidget box. If you're in ministry, have fidget boxes readily available so they've got something to fidget with, even if it's as simple as having a piece of Velcro on the bottom of a desk that they can attach and reattach and just release some of that. adrenaline and also have some sensory to feed those sensory needs. Magic mustache is one of the simplest ones. You may know magic mustache in here. Right here it's auto reset. Auto reset. I walked through a tremendous traumatic event recently and my husband and I looked at each other and he said I'm just going to be using magic mustache a lot. And that's if right here, if you just push. If you're about to cry and you just want to have a little bit of, you know, to help gain composure, well, a child that's getting angry and flipping his lid, that's one way to do it right there. If you want to help a child do it nonchalantly, teach him to do this right here on the desk. Nobody's going to know what's going on except for you and him and perhaps um, the teacher. So human pretzels, something really simple, but just give them something you know. Um, to do, again, pressure points that is working in their body. Um, take a walk. It, we can't always just go swimming, but swimming yeah. is a great outlet if you've got a child in this situation. What are some others that I might be missing? Um, this one, um, really simple, but it's a pat back and forth It helps balance the brain. I don't want to do just Swings awesome. Swings. Swings are awesome. So sometimes you've got a kid in a classroom or a kid at church and they're just, you know, hey, do you want to go swing for five minutes and we come back to class? Hey, do you want to go get a drink or grab some raisins or some peanuts? I know we can't do peanuts. Or whatever it may be um, that you can go, you know, over there and grab. Find a way to help co-regulate them. Using all of these things, lean in, get down to their level. Sorry, that was just a, you reminded me of that. Tell whoever that is, thank you, and you just press on. It'll be worth it. That's what my shirt says. You ask your question while I show you my shirt that I forgot to show you. It's worth it. Everything you're doing, everything you're fighting for, tenaciously fighting for one, impacts the future, impacts the next generation. Are
1: the things you just said, are they contained in that? Uh, the there. some, of them over here. some
0: of them will be. They might be worded a little differently. Again, I started mine years ago before Dr. Before I learned all Dr. purposes more intellectual words and, and verbiage. But especially this one, it's you know the whole brain
1: child. has he, that kind of it. has
0: this kind, and it even gives know, you, it, really? it even gives you um, scenarios like, okay, the child's doing this instead of reacting like A, react. Or instead of reacting like A, respond in B. That's something that I, I tell parents all the time. There's a difference in reacting and responding. We have to pause, gain our self-composure, um, self-regulate, and then we respond, not react. And actions speak louder than words so often. Who had their hand up? Um, yes. well, before we
2: were
1: talking, I kind of missed it, but you the pastor always came up with
0: the facts, say facts, say facts. Flexible, attentive, and teachable. Yes. I just Yep. I didn't get all... I know, I, I told us. Talking fast, trying to get it all in. So, does that another hand? I'm so sorry. Yeah, um, are you going to have any of those... I wasn't in the first session. I didn't on the
1: website.
0: It was recorded, correct? So the session should be... Yeah, they should, okay. should be able to get those. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, thank you. And he did a phenomenal
1: job. He always does. Anything else? All right. Yes, sir? He uh, said, um, now, pastors and people in your life, the, the way that they impacted your life.
2: What did the pastors in your life, I'm a pastor, what did they do for you?
0: Oh, my goodness. I can... I can even give you, you know, um, specific names. There was, um, they called, I mean, his title was Reverend Smithson, but our family actually called him Papa Smithson. That's how she engaged in our family. And he would bring over treats and he would sit down. He would ask me how my week had been. He would um, sometimes take up my sister and I, and my mom or my whoever was there. He was very engaged, our family down to get, you know, remember a cherry coke sort of thing at the yeah. local drugstore? I'm aging myself. Um, but just the simplest things like that. And he never let me get out the door on a Sunday. As busy as it was, he would ask somebody, find Mandy so I can, so I can get my home today. Um, he just, kn- I knew I was important in his life and his care. Um, Pastor Maynor, I can give you another. We would go out to Shelby's on a Sunday night. And he would always, and the he would always say, hey, where's Mandy sitting? And he, if he had the opportunity, he would invite me to come right down there and sit next to him, he and his wife and everything. So much so that I can tell you all, many times that I drank his sweet tea instead of mine, or he would share his dessert and things like that. You know, they weren't anything that was huge, but it was consistent. And I knew that he wasn't just saying it because he was the pastor and because, you know, he had to. He showed me that. Um, on a personal level that I matter. And honestly, the list could go on um, of just the ways that they would just pour in, given extra seconds, extra time, encouraging and championing me on and letting them know that despite whatever I did, they still loved and they were still gonna be there in my life. And they prayed for me. Um, oh boy, did they pray for me. And they taught me how to pray along with my mom and dad. I'll never forget sitting in a circle on the floor. My pastor got down on the floor and he said, you know what? We're just going to pray over this right now. And we did that together on a Thursday afternoon at 4.30. I know because I was missing one of my shows. <laughs> but that mattered and I still remember it to this day. But um, yeah, just so cute. How old were you when you got to your adopted Um, when I got, it, my and so mine is a really long story because there were a lot of complications, a lot of things, mine was not the um, typical adoption. And um, back in that day, if you were placed in the home for foster care, you could, that family could not adopt you. So if you were placed for care, that family couldn't adopt you. And so I was moved and moved. And finally, it was my social worker and, um, that spoke up and said, she cannot, she cannot handle any more changes, she, we've got to step up and do something. And so she fought against conventional thinking and she, what I found out later, she was about to retire and she finally said, more importantly, sorry for anybody that I'm offending, but she said more importantly than all these rules is I'm gonna make a difference in this child's life and I'm gonna help this child, you know, turn around. So by the time that I got there, um, I was eight and a half, but my adoption took, you know, quite some time. But I was one of the first of 10 children to be adopted by a foster parent in, um, I think it's fifteen states. So it was a miracle, another miracle. Y'all have been amazing. Thank you so much. Father, thank you for every person that is present. Thank you for every yes that they represent. And I pray, Father, as they put their yes on the table, and then they let you come and ask the questions and lead the way. That they will surrender. That you will just give them what they need, as they're diligent to educate themselves and, and to um, persevere and to make a difference. And Father, I pray in the moments that they feel inadequate, that they're reminded that all they have to do is show up and be the hands and feet of Jesus. And you promise you would never leave us, and you never called us to do it alone. So Father, I pray that you just go with them, encourage and just wrap around them and pray, and we'll give you all the glory in your name. Amen.